You're listening to The Homeschool Dropout. I'm your host, Mike Roberts. Let's talk about bridging the gap between homeschool and the professional world. All right, everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Homeschool Dropout. I'm really excited for today. We have a very special guest, Sarah Patterson. Sarah, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I'm going to brag about you a little bit before we get going, just so our audience, the listeners can get a feel for who you are. Sarah is involved in so many good causes and initiatives. It's really impressive. Sarah, you make me feel like I should be doing a lot more with my life. So at 14, Sarah started her own business. And she's still running that business. And then as a companion to that business, she also started a nonprofit a couple of years after. And then over the past several years, kind of inspired from her work in her industry, she's become very active in her state legislature. She's helped pass over 15 bills and is overall just a great part of her community. So we're really excited to have you on the show, Sarah. Why don't you give the listeners a little background? Take us through your education first, kind of the logistics of You being homeschooled, did you ever go to public school? And what was your family's approach there? Yeah, so I'm the youngest of four. I'm from Los Angeles originally. My mom pulled my older siblings out of school. They're now in their 40s. So quite a while ago, she was definitely a pioneer in the homeschooling journey. My brother and I never went to school. So we were totally homeschooled our whole life. My brother's like a genius. And so he loved to read all this stuff. And I kind of followed in his coattails. Even though all of us were homeschooled, we were very different in our own ways. And the thing that I love about my mom is she let us pick how we wanted to learn. Like my brother was a reader. He loved math. He wanted to be in groups with people. I kind of had my own way that I, you know, like I didn't want to be in a group. I didn't want to go to a co-op. That wasn't really my thing. I was more of like the hands-on, love to be engaged in projects, just whatever my family was doing, I wanted to be there. And very much like unschooling for me where my siblings went to like, you know, like a private kind of homeschooling group. I was very much hands-off, like we call it unschooling. (laughs) For the most part. So for me, it was fabulous. Like I loved every minute of it. I don't regret one second. I like I had nightmares about being in school. Like if you told me you're going to put me in school, I probably would have like had a panic attack. And that was just very much how I was raised. So we moved from California to Utah when I was 10 because my mom didn't want to raise any more children in California in that system. And so, and I mean, I grew up going to museums and so many amazing opportunities that being in Los Angeles and having all of that field trips and group, you know, park day groups and all of these things. So we had so much like history and wealth there in, in that state, which is great, you know. <laughs> like all the things that we could do. But when we moved to Utah, I kind of just got to move to this one acre piece. And I've always loved gardening. I've always loved, you know, like agriculture or the animal piece. I loved it, you know, 14, which is when I started my business. And that's when I call my business a homeschool project gone bad because my mom's like, if you want to start a farm, go for it. I was like, this is what I want to do. So I planted my garden. I sold to college students. 
bunches of radishes or eggs or whatever. And I mean, the rest has just kind of been a journey in its own. My parents, because I am the youngest, my older siblings were out of the house by then. And they were able to really just let me learn and grow in this space that I had created. And I mean, I didn't, I, I wouldn't have been graduated from high school yet. I did take one choir class in our high school or local high school here in Cedar City. And I was like, oh my gosh, I do not know how these kids spent all day here because I was starting my business and these, you know, kids were just starting. And then college, you know, going into the college thing, I, at 15, I started looking at colleges because education is extremely important and I knew agriculture was the line that I wanted to go into. And so I started looking at colleges like UC Davis and a bunch in California because I'm an organic farmer and they have great organic farming programs. I had already been running my business for a year, almost two years by this point. And then I looked at our college in Utah because that's who gets all of the money for agriculture is Utah State. I mean, what is that called? It's Aggies. Oh, yeah, Utah State. Yeah, that's Utah right. State. I'm right. I'm like, mm-hmm. wait, yeah, that's there's right. too many U's in this. There are. State. There are. I'm like, I can't do this anymore. Anyway, so <laughs> Utah State is who gets all of the funding and grant money. And at that time, they did not have an organic program when I was looking. But there was a master gardener class that I found that I could take. It was like three credits if you were a student, you know, at SU or whatever. And I was 15. I was definitely the youngest person in the class. But I went and took that class because every single class, it was like a three-hour class once a week for a few weeks in the winter, which was perfect for my business. Right. Everyone was a different professor from the college. So there was, you know, the professor of botany, you know, all of the different professors that were teaching ag at that college. And I was like, this is the perfect opportunity to see if I want to go here and I'll become a master gardener at the same time. And when I was done with that class, I was so, I failed my first test because (laughs) I thought that what they were teaching was totally wrong. My mom came in, she's like, Sarah, it doesn't matter if you can prove that you're right with your organic methods. This is what they want to hear. And so you have to like conform and these are the tests that they've done with their grant money and you have to use what their studies have shown and you have to like put the answers that they want, not what you think is right. And it doesn't matter if you can cite them. If you want to pass this and become a master gardener, you're going to have to kind of play the game. And I realized that I didn't want to play the game. I knew that I could go in there and try to create my own curriculum and try to be different. But in the long run, I was just fighting with a system that I didn't really want to be a part of. So Sarah, you're you're 15 at this time. I'm 15. You're 15. You're enrolled yeah. in a college class and you're challenging the methodology and even the material that's being taught yeah. as a 15 year old. <laughs> kind of brazen. Yeah. I just sat in there and I was like, this has an agriculture. If you've looked at it, especially since COVID, like it's a broken system. We saw things that, you know, it's definitely a broken system. And I'm like, they're teaching, they're promoting this system that isn't working and we need innovators and you're not creating that. So I failed the first one because I did whatever I wanted and I said what I wanted. And then I went back and retook the test because you could take it again. And I said what they wanted and I passed with flying colors. 
But that's when I decided that college was not for me. I could not spend the next four years of my life fighting this system that I've been taken out of. All of my parents own their own business. My grandparents own their own business. We have a very entrepreneurial, you know, family. And so that's when I was like, this is it for me. I need to get an education, but college is not going to be the way to get it. A lot of the organic ones, like you go and run a CSA for the school. And I'm like, I already own a CSA. I've already started a CSA. I'd rather make those mistakes and learn and grow my business and put, because the other thing is how much is college? Like how many people walk out of school in debt with so much money? And yes, you are getting an education, but that is a huge money making, you know, like endeavor in this world. Like they are running a business. They like those professors, you're paying them to teach you. This is very much your education and they act like they're doing you a favor. But really, in the long run, the only person that you're hurting by cheating or doing any of that is you. And I'm like, I don't want like I could walk into you and be like, listen, I'm paying good money. This is what I'm doing. And this is what I want out of this. But I just decided that that wasn't what I wanted to do such a game like college is a game you know oh my gosh you have hit on so many points i want to dig into <laughs> but but really quickly that was my experience in college i think coming from homeschool i often got frustrated i thought i am paying you and i'm not getting quality instruction you are not a good professor you're not teaching things that add value to my career i'm not learning how to learn like obviously i had really excellent professors and I went on and, and got more education, but there is such a game with school and it's presented as this really shiny, almost elite activity that you can do in your life to kind of set you apart from your peers and everything. But, but there is politics involved, there's bureaucracy involved, and you have to kind of conform and adjust to that pattern of how the world operates in order to be successful. And, and it's, it was draining. So many moments it was draining for me as a college student coming from homeschool because I didn't have to do that in homeschool. I didn't have to play this game and like work the system. You know, I hated doing that. So what you're saying is it's hitting the right nerve for me where I'm like, yep, that's what I had to do. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, depending on what field you want to go into, right? Like Certain if you want to become a doctor, you're going to have to play that game. If you want to be like, there are right. a lot of things that you have to play that game. But there are like so many times I'm like, I don't need it. And when I thought about it, I'm like, okay, I could spend, you know, a hundred thousand dollars on schooling, or I could invest a hundred thousand dollars into my business. How further along could I be in my career if I'm not trying to pay off student loans or? You know, like that's something that I think we have to think about, that that isn't the only route. And I think that you can't say that education isn't important, but the way that we've created it, especially in America, is so kind of single-minded, right? Like you get out, you graduate, what school are you going to? If you don't go to school, if you don't have a degree, you're not going to go anywhere. And I just find that very untrue. Very untrue. And I think it's, it, it's almost unfair to young people that we have this unbalanced value system. It just sets them up to this world perspective that if they don't have this piece of paper, then they won't be able to build a life for themselves. So actually, I want to dig into that. I feel like I can anticipate this answer, Sarah, but did you, you feel like such an independent person 
when you were looking at college and and considering that option, I guess were there social forces you were dealing with where you were trying to convince yourself that it was going to be okay not going to college or was that a pretty easy choice for you? For me, there was no social piece whatsoever, like not even a second. I think that it would almost like was a real, like for me, I was like, oh, people go to college, so I should look into it. But I didn't, I kind of looked into it. I did look into it, but there was no social pressure from my family. There was no social pressure from anyone. You know what I'm saying? In that way, okay. Um, I mean, my mom wanted me to go to college because she's like, there's just like this experience and, you know, like being a freshman and going on campus. She's like, you should just do one semester just to have that feel of like what it is, you know? And I was like, I don't feel like I need that. I'm like, come on. Like most of these people waste their time. Like when you're a freshman, it's like, oh, you should party and be a kid. And for me, I was like, I have crap to do. I'm going to get stuff done. Like. I just feel like it's like, for me, it was such a waste of time. So I would say that it wasn't social for me at all. Like it was a relief to like realize that, oh, this really, I don't have to deal with this. Well, it's great that you, you discovered that on your own when you're in your teens. My freshman year was so almost delusional of me. I, I knew grades mattered in high school because that was my gateway into college, mm-hmm. right? I had no idea. I don't know what happened. I just had no idea grades mattered in college. So I I had that freshman year that you described where I was living in the dorms. Don't get me wrong. I had a great time and I made a lot of good friends. My grades are terrible my freshman year. And I spent the rest of my college career trying to buffer that, right? Like, hey, I was just, I was a freshman. I'm really sorry. I I didn't know people were going to be looking at this, but they are. And so- I'm very impressed by your um, awareness at such a young age. Do you think homeschool gave that to you or is that personality or a mix? I think it is homeschool. I mean, if you think about it, like, and I think it's also the adults that surround you are so important. Like if a child is homeschooled, you can see a million different ways to homeschool. Even if you're a kid in public school, if you have people around you that are empowering you and you're told that you can do whatever you want to do as long as you decide that you're going to do it and you're going to have to take control of it because no one can do it for you. And I think that's like the most important thing is as a parent who's raising a child or whatever it is, it's like if you're pushing them to do something that they don't really want to do, it doesn't matter. You know, it's like your result is still going to be something that isn't great because you have to take ownership for yourself in life. That's how I feel. And so it's like, it's, I think parents like get so freaked out. And it's like in the long run, if your kid doesn't want to do something, there isn't anything that you're going to do in the long run. So you just have to make them feel empowered. Like, no, you can do this. You're amazing. Like you have the opportunity to take this on. And I think that's where I was very lucky is I do have a support system. I was a super late reader. I'm super dyslexic, like still even now, like severely dyslexic. My father was dyslexic and I didn't, I couldn't even like read until I was 10, like barely anything. I've done like hooked on phonics. I mean, my brother was reading by the age of like three. He was reading, you know, huge books by the age of six. 
by the age of 10, he was devouring like everything that came in sight. And I could barely like read, you know, a Dr. Seuss book. And then I would like figure out how to memorize it. So then if someone asked me to read, I would be like, oh yeah. And then if I didn't have the book, I could still read it. So that's something that for me, like, you know, my mother definitely had pressure on her that, you know, you have a child that's 10 years old that can barely like write, you know, like read or write. Reading has always been a challenge. Like I do not look at the world the same way. Words don't like I have to consciously think to turn those letters into a word. Like words don't distract me whatsoever because I don't look at something and see words like they're just shapes. Growing up in that world, you know, like it was hard, but at the same time, I just knew that I wanted to do stuff. But Everyone, when they would test me or whatever, they're like, you're extremely unusual because most dyslexic are not outgoing. They have problems with numbers. They, you know, are shy. They have other disabilities. They're not confident. They're not, you know, a lot of things that come with that level I don't have. But I mean, to this day, it's something that I struggle with severely. (laughs) And it's something that I'll struggle with my whole life. So that's something that I think is unique in that fact. And I think that's part of the reason in some ways that I never really wanted to go to school was because I was always afraid because I was so dyslexic that I would be put in like a slow box and I'm not slow. Like that's not my problem. Like it's a small thing that I have to deal with, but I've always like when I would think of going to school, I'm like, oh, they're going to put me in like the slow reading category or put me in this thing. And I'm like, I'm that's not like I don't want to be labeled by not, you know, being able to read as fast as everyone else. I can do other things 10 times faster or better than you. And I think that there's a lot of things that you that I see differently because words don't distract me, you know, so I'm loving your perspective there. I love that homeschool freed you from labeling and kind of maybe the self-doubt that it might have given mm-hmm. you about yourself just because of, you know, I'm not strong in this area, but you've also framed it for yourself as a strength where, hey, because of this, I see the world differently. I'm able to approach problems differently and I'm sharp. I can, I can make things happen. I can get things done. And this gives me a unique edge in doing it. I have not heard very many people that struggle with dyslexia describe it in that way where you have kind of reclaimed dyslexia as almost your edge in the way that you view the world. So I want to talk real quick about a trade-off that I see with homeschooling. And then I want to dig into your involvement with the legislature. I think a lot of homeschooling parents may have a a concern or worry that, you know, I, I need to make sure my kid's on track, that they're doing what they need to be doing at the right time. You know, you kind of get stuck in this conveyor belt mindset still. What are the risks and what are the rewards that you see in presenting the child with, here's the world, here's all the things that you can learn about. Go find what you're interested and dig into it and learn everything you can. If they happen to not be interested in math until, you know, they're 17 or 18 and suddenly they need math, like to run your business, you have to know basic arithmetic. Yeah, I do my accounting. Right. It's real life. You know, real life eventually says, if you want to be successful, you need to know this stuff. And so do you think there's risk in 
letting the child explore for as long as they need to until life says, hey, you need to learn these things. Is it ever too late? I don't know. What's your take there? Because you you have a very unique path there. Yeah, I mean, in a lot of ways, I'm a self-motivator, which I think is a good thing. Some kids aren't as much self-motivators, but I feel like once you find your passion, you're going to make it happen. So I think, yeah, letting kids just do what they love and figuring it out, you know? I mean, there is risk, but in the long run, I think it works out so much better. I think in the long run, it's so much better. And I mean, it's always funny because I speak at colleges actually quite often now. I've spoken a lot all over the country at conferences, colleges, all over. And I always get that question, like, where did you go to school or what, you know? And it's just really interesting to say, like, that wasn't my path. Education is super important, but I think there's so many different ways to get it. And I think that's the same with like young kids, like education is important and there's lots of different ways to get it, but sometimes a textbook isn't the best way. So, and we never had, like for my family, it was like school starting, school's not starting. Like my mom has always told me, you're always learning. Like you don't stop learning during the summer because it's the summer like you are always learning school doesn't stop when you turn 18 it doesn't stop when you leave college like you constantly take every single opportunity of every day and make sure that you learn something and so that was how I lived you know like every single day was an opportunity to learn like life is always school you know you should always be learning it's not like okay you can turn off your brain now you don't have to learn anything you don't need to know anything new so I think that's a good thing to think about I love it I love that approach and I I really like that I feel like homeschool did that for me where the world seemed so full of opportunities to learn constantly and it wasn't split up by these artificial you learn from September to May and that's when you learn and then you don't learn in the other months. And I, I've never felt like there are times when you learn and there's times where you don't learn. You know, it's fluid. It's just, it's part of being alive is that you're learning. Let's look at your involvement with the legislature. Fill us in, give us the background and then what has been your impact? So I'm trying to make this short. So when <laughs> I was 16, my parents started working for me full time. That could be a whole nother story. My mom owned a restaurant when she was younger. We've always been into cooking and hosting like farm to fork dinners and stuff like that. So I did that with my business. And the same friend that that kind of made me want to start a CSA because she did it for a master's project, she decided to do a dinner at her farm. And she is in Las Vegas. To make a long story short, the event ended up being raided by the health department. And... I was there. I was giving tours. They had grown and raised everything on this farm. The food was absolutely incredible. Not to think about like how much effort went into making this food. And this woman also is a homeschooling mom. She actually was the person that was kind of a big introduction to my mom and TJ Ed. And she had taught Key of Liberty classes and classes on the Constitution and all of these things. And she ran up and called this organization called Farm to Consumer Legal Defense Fund, which is a group, it's like a poll, a bunch of farmers pay into it, and then you have access to a lawyer, basically. So she got on the phone with the lawyer, and she said, the health department's threatening to call the police. We have 
all of these people here who rented limos, they have drivers that drove BMWs. I mean, this is like a very high pressured event on this farm. Chefs just, there's like a hundred people standing around and the food is being destroyed. They had us pour bleach on it. You are kidding me. It's insane. Destroy the food with bleach. Wow. Yeah. So, and I was the one who gave them the bleach. So she called them up and she said, well, did they have a, a search warrant? And she's like, no. And he's like, you call the police and tell them to leave their prop, your property. They have no right to be on your property. And so she did. She called and they escorted this inspector off of the property. And to me, it just made me think, I'm like, this is someone who taught, you know, the Constitution. She knows her right. She knows that you can't come and just walk into someone's home and seize their property. You have to have a search warrant. And I went back and I was like, what are our laws? What's legal? What are we doing? And that's when I came home. This is when I was around 16, 17. And I realized everything I was doing was illegal. My property was not zoned. And my parents were working for me, but they didn't. Like my dad's in construction, my mom's in events and fundraising. They didn't know farming. They don't know the laws for that. And you can say, you know, shame on them. But this was my business. This was my company. They worked for me. And that's when I started researching. And I was like, oh my gosh, our laws are really not that great. But we live in a friendly state. So they're not going to come and like, cease, you know, just like destroy us. So I went up to the Capitol and I was 18 and my mom and I walked around, met legislators, had a great time. So when I was 18 is when I started kind of pushing the envelope and I realized that raw milk is where we needed to start. And I started with this herd share bill and I got a cease and desist kind of on purpose. So I got a cease and desist to stop selling raw milk. And then I also, the governor recognized me. I was at this one Utah summit. I stood up at the age of 17 or Yeah, I think I was 17. And the governor recognized me. I had an interview with him. It was this great experience. And the next day I got a cease and desist letter for my business saying that I had to shut down my whole operation. So these came like right in concession. And when you get a cease and desist letter, it's pretty traumatizing. It's basically saying that you're done. (laughs) But I wasn't done and I knew I wasn't done. And that's really what encouraged me to start changing the laws. So the herd share bill was the first bill that we passed, which your lovely brother was the one who was the sponsor of it. And basically it was illegal to share raw milk. So if you and I owned a cow and we're not, you know, related, we could not share the milk from that cow. And let's say that you and I don't want to milk that cow. So we want to pay someone else to milk that cow. It was illegal for us to pay someone to milk the cow for us and us to share the milk, even though we own that cow. We went half and half. We put the (laughs) money in. We own that cow. It's crazy. So, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't even make sense, but I knew that raw milk is like the other white stuff. It is totally, you say raw milk and people, you're going to die. You're going to kill people, whatever. That can be a whole nother conversation, but it doesn't matter what's coming out of the cow. The fact of the matter is this is a property rights issue. It doesn't matter that it's raw milk. It matters that I own this cow and I can't drink the milk from my own cow. The only people that could drink the milk was the owner of the property that the cow was housed on. So if I lived with my boyfriend on the farm and I owned a cow, he couldn't drink it because he is an immediate family. So that was the first bill we started with. That's a whole long, crazy story. I could write a book about it. I ended up not going home for over two weeks. 
everyone opposed it. The Dairy Association, the health department, there was no one that was for it, really. Like no one. It was just people. We had so many people who wanted this, who just started texting and emailing. And I didn't even know that these people existed. I had no idea that there were so many people out there, farmers, people that want consumers, everyone, like hundreds, thousands, people not even in our state started calling and saying this needs to pass. It was, it was insane. It was crazy. So I came back from that and we passed the bill. It went through. It was the most talked about bill on the hill. Herd shares. We're talking about sharing milk from a cow. Okay. Most talked about <laughs> number one. The governor spoke about it in his closing address. Like, this is ridiculous. We're talking like, aren't there more important things I, to talk about? Like, yes. can we like, we're spinning our wheels yeah, on this. I'm not kidding. Like education, you know, child trafficking. So we went home. I really didn't know if I was ever going to go back. Honestly, I knew that there were things that I wanted to do, but it was such a crazy experience. And I also, so our session is a 45 day session in Utah. It ends in like March. And my dad, the day that the bill was signed by the governor, probably within a few hours, my dad actually passed away of an electrical misfire. And I was 20 at this point. I just turned 20. I turned 20 in February. I kind of, that kind of rocked my world. He was totally healthy. No notice, nothing like my business partner, best worker, worked an 80 hour week. Dream builder, you know, built anything I wanted for me was gone. And so I didn't know if I was going to go back up to the Capitol. But the next year, there were a few other people that kind of were up there. And there were some bills that were being passed that were kind of going against it. They were trying to undo some things. And they were like saying that we were bad actors and we didn't do this. So I marched back up to the Capitol. I drove up there and I confronted the representative that was saying things about me. And I said, this isn't true. This isn't, wasn't my intent. And I realized that if there was not someone up there that cared about direct to consumer, small ag, there's Farm Bureau that does big ag. They're great. Commodities, bigger agriculture, they've got your back. But if you are selling directly to the consumer, a small business, and this used to be the American dream. You know, I don't come from a family that was generational farmers. I don't own thousands of acres in Utah. I bought, you know, I have two acres of a very small farm. And there are people that want to get into agriculture that don't have a lot, you know, which I'm not saying it isn't bad or it's good. It's just the fact of the matter. And I thought they needed a voice. And that's when I was like, we have to start a nonprofit. We need to be this voice. And so we are, and we did. And my mom now runs our nonprofit and she is the director of it. And we passed several bills and it's been a journey of a lifetime going up to the Capitol and, you know, seeing it right in front of you and seeing the laws being made. Like, I don't think I I say it's like my sport now, you know, like we go up there for 45 days every year. And we watch it and we don't, you know, focus on everything. We're focused on a very small niche because we don't have the funding or the backing. This is very grassroots. My mom doesn't get paid yet. We do have a paid analyst. We have paid a lobbyist before, but it's just super important to me for, for people to be able to do the same thing that I did and have it be legal and not have to have the fear of the bureaucracy and 
keeping that American dream alive, you know? And we luckily live in a state where I can make a difference. If I was in California, I would not have a chance in a million years. But two totally naive women, I was 19, walked up to that Capitol and made a difference. And it's so important that we've kept doing it. And now it's been, you know, over eight years. And I... You know, it's, it's super important, probably more than you wanted. (laughs) No, no, not enough. I, I have so many more questions. You really took your own passion and made something out of it. And then when you interacted with federal agencies, you saw a space where you could use your expertise and your passion to make a real difference. And it's happened. My family back in Utah, they bought a dairy cow and it's, it's a shared dairy cow where the neighbors get the raw milk. My family gets the raw milk. So it's your work that, you know, it's ridiculous that we have to talk about it in these terms, but it's legal now for my family to do what they want with their own milk. It is bonkers to me that we have to talk about your own property in that way. But but here we are, right? So yeah, your impact, I, I think it's it's so inspiring and important for parents today homeschooling to look and see you became a lobbyist almost organically, you know, pun intended. It's crazy. And now, you know, my business, because we do leave, we have this year, we've had over like 10 employees. I've had, you know, like it's changed over the years. I have a farm manager, which to me, it's crazy thinking of this 14 year old girl who was homeschooled, gets to speak at colleges, you know, like all of these things, you know, a funny story. Our soil in Utah is horrible. And we were one of 16 farms that are part of this like soil health project in Utah, which is kind of a cool thing. And there's this little part that they do that's like the people, like there's this people portion, whatever, and they sit you down. And my farm manager came with me and he is a software engineer by trade and still has a $30,000 student loan and works for me and makes like a quarter, not even a tenth of what he made in the industry that he was in, but he's passionate and wants to farm. And he has, you know, a degree and, you know, graduated. And they're like, what about you? And I'm like, none. And they're like, high school, right? And I was like, I can get it. But I never like filed for my high school diploma. And so I'm like, no. And she's like, and you own the business? I'm like, yeah. I think everyone that works for me has a degree and is way overqualified, but the person running it doesn't even have a high school diploma. I have to admit, it's almost a point of pride for me when I tell people, you know, you you can't look at someone and see immediately whether or not they have a high school diploma. But when I'm interacting professionally and it starts coming up, I'm like, oh yeah, I I do have a master's, but I never, I never graduated from high school. You know, I essentially dropped out. I just didn't, it was not something that I felt was valuable for me. So I love that you're having the same kind of experiences there. Because they just don't, like, they can't believe it. Because, I mean, almost everyone that works for me has a bachelor, a doctorate. They realize that the college thing was kind of, like, they kind of regret it. They don't regret it. But how many people who have gone to school in my world look back and don't regret it, but realize that it wasn't necessary in the same sense? I think it's a great message for our listeners. So let's kind of wrap up here. Where can people go to learn more about you? Do you have a website? Do you have Instagram? Where can they go to learn more? I have a very active Instagram page. It's Red Acre Farm. If you're an Instagram person, 
And then I also have a website, which is fun to look at because it has my story of my farm and stuff like that. And that's redacrefarmcsa.org. And then if you're interested in the activism and the advocacy part, our nonprofit, you can become a member if you're in the state and you really want to be a part. That is redacrecenter.org. You can always stop by the farm too. <laughs> okay. Hey, there you go. So so your business is redacrefarmcsa.org. Mm-hmm. The nonprofit is redacrecenter.org. Mm-hmm. And then your Instagram is at redacrefarm. Yep. Okay, perfect. Well, definitely go give Sarah a look, investigate what she's doing, take a look at her website. I think she's doing really great work. And as a homeschooler, just a great example. And if you're someone like Sarah, homeschooling provides an opportunity for you to build your own life in your own way. And I think you've done that, Sarah. It's really cool. And I would not be where I am if I wasn't homeschooled because how many 14-year-olds get the opportunity to start their own business? I was in high school. That would never have happened. No, no. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, thank you for coming on and go give Sarah a look. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Hey everyone, to make sure you don't miss weekly episodes of The Homeschool Dropout, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review on your preferred podcasting platform.